Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, where as a church, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So if you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend worship experience. We'd love for you to stay connected with us by visiting us at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. Thanks for being with us, and we really hope you enjoy this message. Well, are you enjoying this Love, Sex, and Marriage series? I hope you are. I enjoy it. I enjoy the testimonies we get from it. And uh, thank you for sharing those with me and letting us know what God is doing. Uh, today's message is very different, and it's very good and very helpful. Uh, I mean, if I do say so myself, I guess that sounds kind of prideful because I'm the preacher, but I, I only say it's good because I think it's going to help you in an area that we all need help in. Because, but let me just say before I do that, that today's message is rated PG. PG, that means parental guidance, which means that if you are watching this online, you're going to want to pause the feed and, you know, ask your kids to go upstairs and play with their toys and then resume it. If you have a kid in the room today and they're not at Journey Kids, you might want to take them to Journey Kids. And so you have 15 seconds to do that at this moment right here, unless you're comfortable with them hearing about what we're going to be talking about today, which you might be, and you probably should be, because uh, today we're going to talk about sex. <laughs> Technically, that was 10 seconds, but still giving you 15. And let me just say, that right there, the way you felt when I said it, is exactly why we need to talk about it. The, the fact that when I said it, your booty clenched right there. <laughs> The fact that when I said it, your heart skipped the beat, the temperature in your body rose to a new degree. The fact that when I said it, you leaned over to the person you invited to church today and apologized <laughs> for bringing them to church today. The, the fact that it's so uh, sensitive and feels so private and feels so, I think that's the evidence that we need to talk about it. Now, if you feel like that is an inappropriate topic to talk about in church, let me suggest two ideas to you before we even get into the message. If you think, well, we shouldn't be talking about this in church, two ideas. Number one, you might have the wrong idea of what church is. Because yes, church is the place where we go to worship God. And yes, church is the place where we go to learn about God. But church is also the place where we go to God when we need help in a certain area of our life. And I don't know about you, but I need help in this area of my life. I think we need help in this area of my life. You better get real comfortable with saying amen to some of these things. I'm going to tell you right now. Because we know you're fronting. We already know. Here's the reality of the matter. If I were to preach a message on gambling today, maybe 20% of you would relate. If I were to preach a message on alcoholism, maybe 40% of you would relate. But 100% of the people in this room today are sexual beings. And the world knows that, and the devil knows that. And maybe that's why 36% of the internet is pornography. Maybe that's why one out of every four Google searches are sexual in nature. Maybe that's why one in 10 children will be sexually abused before the age of 18. And maybe that's why the number one cause for divorce cited on the paperwork is infidelity. Can we talk about this, please? Because the church is there, supposed to be there to help us through the things that are going in our life. And we're not talking about this in church. I don't know if you grew up in the church that I grew up in, but in the church I grew up in, we didn't talk about sex. Sex was dirty. Sex was nasty. Save it for your spouse. You weren't supposed to talk about it. 
but we need to talk about it because somewhere in this building right now is a husband who cannot physically be intimate with his wife because pornography has ravaged his brain. There is a wife in this building who cannot be intimate with her husband because every time he touches her, she sees the abuser who took advantage of her and the family cottage that one summer. There is a single person in the room today who is trying to get closer to God, but every time they open up their Bible app, they're getting a notification from their Tinder app. There is a teenager in this room right now who is going through puberty. Come on, somebody, help them out. We need to help them out. Journey Youth, I feel for you. Do you know that your hormones increase 600% when you go through puberty? May God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> Somewhere in this room, there is a divorcee whose spouse left them, but the desires are still there. There is a widower who cannot imagine ever being with someone else. And there is a married couple that has not been intimate in months, maybe even years. And we need to talk about it. And that's what church is for. And so, so if you feel like that's inappropriate, maybe you, can, you might have the wrong idea of what church is. Or the second idea that I would suggest to you, you might think that this is an inappropriate topic to speak about in church. Here, Because you have the wrong idea of what sex is. And that's honestly what I've come to redeem today. Today, I want to give you a new way of seeing sex a new way of thinking about it, of looking at it, of seeing it. And so the topic for our talk today is called Sex See. <laughs> sexy, sexy. That's what we were talking about, sexy. Now what qualifies me to talk about sex? Not much. I am not an authority on the topic of sex, although you might want to check with Pastor Liz. You know what I'm saying? I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. It's a joke. It's a joke. We're just trying to lighten up the mood because we're talking about something serious. So I have to intersperse jokes or else somebody's going to leave. And so they might have already left. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, no, I'm not an authority on the topic, but I have spent my life devoted my life to studying the word of God. And honestly, I'm not even here really to talk to you about my opinions on sex, because I don't know that I'm confident in that, but what I can be confident is I can tell you what the Bible says about sex and what the word of God says about sex. And we can learn about that together. And I think that ought to have some weight and value in your life because the Bible says that the word of God was written by God. It's his word. And guess what God did? Are you ready? He invented sex. Come on, Hugh Hefner did not invent sex. Your favorite musician did not invent sex. Sex was created by God. Genesis chapter two, verse 24. Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh, joined one flesh. Are you catching the metaphors? He's not talking about holding hands, people. He's not talking about hugging for a really long time. Join and become one flesh. Sex was God's idea. And if God made it, listen, then we ought to go to the one who made it to define it. Do not get your definition of sex from things that are not the Lord or from people who are not the Lord. Don't get your definition of sex from the television or your favorite TV show. Don't go to ABC, CBS, Fox, you know, don't go to your friends, your favorite friends episode. Ross and Rachel were dysfunctional. Don't let them be the model. They were dysfunctional. Don't, don't go to the Kardashians or the Real Housewives or, or Euphoria. They call it a drama for a reason because it's drama. So if you want a relationship that's drama, then by all means model it after your favorite drama. But that's not what it's supposed to be. Don't model a sex or get an idea of sex from your favorite recording artist. Please don't go to music. 
I love music, especially the love songs. They were my jams, but, but don't, you know, they're, they're not telling you the truth, okay? It's easy to talk about sex in a minute and 30 seconds or 33 minutes and 45 seconds, but there's more to it than that. So like, boys to men, I love you, but I'm coming for you. <laughs> boys to men, you, you, you misled us. I'll make love to you like you want me to, and I'll hold you tight, baby, all through the night. Come on now, boys to men. Have you even had sex, boys to men? <laughs> you can have sex before the night begins. You can have sex in the middle of the night, and you can have sex at the end of the night, but all through the night? Sex is exhausting. <laughs> That's not happening. You're a liar. Don't get your expectations of sex from pornography or Pornhub. Pornhub is not an example of sex. It's an exaggeration of it. Yes. It's an exaggeration. If you get your expectations of sex from Pornhub, you're going to be real disappointed the next time you order food. <laughs> and the person comes to your door. <laughs> and then leaves. <laughs> and you're like, but wait, you don't want a tip. I looked at the video. Be careful. It's going to mess you up. Because listen, if your expectation is the exaggeration, then when you experience a real example, you're going to leave sex exacerbated, disappointed, feeling like something wrong happened either to you or with you. It's not. It's that you built your expectations on an exaggeration. That's not real. That's not real. Friends, please do not build teenagers. Let me help you right now. Please do not get your definition of sex from your friend. They don't know nothing. 14 little 50 year on them, nothing. And parents, let me help you out. You need to have this conversation with your kids a lot younger than you think you do. Because the first person who defines it is the truth. The second person is covering up. So if you wait to have a conversation about it after they come to school from school with it, your friends will tell them the truth and you're coming to fix it. But if you tell them the truth first, when they go to school, they'll be like, you a liar. You don't know. My mom told me. Be careful where you get... Uh, your definitions from. And so because God made it, here's the first thing you have to know. Because God made it and God is good, you need to see that sex is good. I thought we'd get more amens on that one. <laughs> Single people are like, well, I don't know. I mean, that's what they say. That's not really sure. I can't really speak to that. But <laughs> And now listen, I know you're listening to that and you'll be like, yeah, duh, obviously sex feels good. But no, this, that's not the revelation. Here's the revelation. I don't mean sex feels good. I mean that sex is morally good. Let that sink into your soul for a little bit. Sex is not evil, and it's not wicked, and it's not bad, and it's not sinful. It's not nasty or disgusting. It's not bad. Sex is morally good. And to that, all the single people are like, then if it's good, why can't I have sex? Which, by the way, God never said you can't have sex. Single people, God wants you to have a lot of sex. Just not right now. <laughs> he wants you to wait until you get married. And so let me rephrase the question for you, single person. It's not why shouldn't I have sex or why can't I have sex? Here's the right question, single people. Write this down because I'm going to answer it. I'm going to talk to the single people first and I'll come talk to the married people in a little bit. Single people, then why should I not have it yet? 
yet, yet, yet. Not, not forever, but yet. Married people are coming to you for a second, but I need to speak to single people, especially those who just started coming to church, because some of y'all are real confused right now. If you just came to church, you're like, hold up. <laughs> I'm supposed to be having sex right now? <laughs> that was not on the commitment card I filled out when I gave my life to Jesus. <laughs> yes, it was. It was a fine print on the back. You should have read it. No, I'm just kidding. First off, I'm not supposed to be having sex if I'm not married. Uh, well, no, actually, Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, it's one of the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, do not commit adultery. Now, some people read this and they go, well, I thought that meant you're not supposed to have sex with someone who's not your husband or your wife. And to that, my response is, yeah. And someone you're dating is not your husband or your wife. And there's no exceptions for high school sweethearts. And there's no exceptions, because I hear the, you know, the, the guys right now, they're like, well, she might not be my wife, but she my wifey. <laughs> Drop the E. She either your wife or she's not your wife. No wife E. Ladies are like, well, that's my man. No, it's not about your man. It's about your husband. Is he your husband? <laughs> that's the question. We need to really limit the definition here. Now, listen, I don't want you to think that God is just some mean parent who's taking away all the toys, the fun toys that you can't play with because he's all about that. No, no. There's actually a really great reason why he wants you to wait, single person. I'll talk to married people in just a second, but here's what it is. I'm going to give you two reasons. Number one, you need to see that one of the reasons that you wait is to protect you, to protect you. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15 through 16, drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets having sex with just anyone? Now, first off, what I love about this verse is that it legitimizes sexual desire. It says, hey, if you're thirsty, you know, I get it, you're thirsty. But I've created a place where your thirst can be satisfied. And so not only does it legitimize sexual desire, but it creates a context for which that sexual desire can be satisfied and that context is your spouse. And I really love the metaphor here. I love the idea that's talking about thirst and water. I think that's a really cool metaphor. I think that'd be great code language for you and your wife or your husband to use if you're ever trying to talk about sex around the kids, but you can't. Just be like, are you thirsty right now? I'm a little thirsty. You thirsty? Would you like to go get a drink? You know? Your kids are going to think you have a fridge upstairs in your bedroom. <laughs> but like, why do mom and dad keep going upstairs to get drinks? I've never seen a fridge up there ever. And just, so I, I kind of like the code words and the language and the metaphors. I want to lean into that metaphor for, for a simple reason, because the metaphor switches. If you notice, it says that when you have sex in marriage, it fills you. But then when it talked about sex outside of marriage, it didn't use the word fills, it used the word spills. Why? Listen to me if you're taking notes, because there's a sex that fills and there's a sex that spills. There's a sex that you can have in the intimacy of marriage that when you have it, it literally fills you up. You feel better about yourself after doing it. And then there's another sex you can have outside of marriage that in the moment it feels great. But when you leave it and you get dressed and you put your pants on and you get back in the Uber on the way home, you feel emptier at the end of it than you did at the beginning of it. Because here's how it works. Listen, because when you have sex, listen, you're not just giving someone a piece of your body. Some people would have you think that sex is just physical. It's not. It's spiritual and emotional. You're not just giving them a piece of your body. You're giving them a piece of your heart. And so you give that person that you're having sex with a piece of your heart. And when you're married, what they're supposed to do, if you remember the illustration from last week, they're supposed to give it back. 
And so that's what sex looks like in marriage. You, you pour your heart and your love and your body out into someone, and then they pour their heart and their body and their love back into you. But what happens when you have sex out of marriage is that you pour your heart into someone, and then because y'all dating, eventually they leave. And so now they take a piece of your heart, and because it's not their heart, they don't treat it good. And so now, even though y'all already broken up, they got your heart and they're talking about you behind your back. And now those pictures that you sent them that you thought were private that no one else was supposed to see, now they start spilling them. And, and now, they, now you see them on Instagram with someone else and all of a sudden they start spilling the heart that you gave them. And then so now they have spilled the most important part of you. So now you ain't got them no more. So now you go, well, listen, I need somebody in my life to fill me up. And so listen, it didn't work with Tim. Let me try John. So you give it to John. John takes your heart, and guess what? That relationship don't last either, so John ends up spilling out your heart. And you go, okay, well, it didn't work out with John. Uh, how about with Sam? It go work out with Sam. You give Sam your heart, and you keep giving people your heart, thinking that they'll stay, but Sam, he out too. And then one day you start thinking, maybe I have the wrong kind of cup. It didn't work with Tim or John or Sam. Let me try Sarah. <laughs> so you try it with Sarah. But Sarah ends up leaving you too because the problem isn't that they keep taking it away. The problem is that you keep. Giving it away. Until eventually, you got nothing left to give. And listen, and the only people who say that sex is meaningless, is empty, are the people who have had so much of their heart spilled, they have none left of it to be affected by. Please catch this, because this is gonna help somebody. They had, in order, they had to empty sex of its meaning in order to survive the trauma of rejection. I can't have sex mean anything, because every time it's ever meant something and I gave it to somebody, they took it away. So now I'm gonna have to convert sex into this meaningless thing. I'm empty and I'm broken. And it messes with you, not just spiritually, physically, but also mentally. A study was done in 2013 at the University of Rutgers that found a correlation. They started asking people, tell me about your mental health. And a bunch of these people started scoring high. This is, you can Google this. A bunch of these people started scoring high in sadness, suicidal ideation, and even suicidal attempts. And when they looked for a correlation, they found that the number of people who were thinking about suicide more correlated to the number of sexual partners a person had because every partner they had was emptying them out, emptying them out and emptying them out until they had nothing left. It's to protect you. Now let me just, I can't even preach on this. You'll have to come back for the 12 if you want me to get deep in this part, but if that's you today, and if you came and you're emptied and you got nothing left, let me just encourage you today to open up your Bible and read the book of John chapter four, where Jesus meets a woman at the well. Because at that well, this woman comes up to Jesus and she comes up to Jesus for a drink. And Jesus says, if you want a drink, go get your husband, you know, because that's how it's supposed to work. And the, and the woman goes, I have no husband. And Jesus looks at her and goes, you're right that you say you ain't got no husband because the truth is you have five husbands and homeboy you living with now ain't even your man. You thirsty. But then Jesus told her, but I know a well. I know a well that you can come bring your thirst to and your emptiness to. If you're in this room and you've been used and abused and emptied, I want you to know that there is a well that can pour back everything the enemy stole from you, everything that you gave out to John and Tim and Sarah and, and, and Tammy and all of that. He'll come back and he'll fill up what the enemy took. 
if you come to him, to protect you. So you're waiting to protect your hearts. You're not just waiting to protect your heart. Listen, see that you wait to protect the relationship. You got to protect the relationship. Can I help you right now? Put it on the screen. See that you wait to protect the relationship. If you really care about this guy, guys, if you really feel like she's the one, like this is the one that's gonna lock in your relationship forever, this is the one that's gonna be the mother of your children, if you really feel that, hear me, wait until marriage to have sex. Please wait until marriage. Studies show, the latest one being done in 2019, that couples who cohabitate before marriage are 1.3 times more likely to get a divorce after marriage. Why is that? You would think that they got more practice. You know, like they already got their drawers and they already got what, what cabinet the, the toothbrush goes into. And, you know, and they figured all of that out. Here's why. Because the physical makes a great pinnacle for a relationship, but a poor foundation for a relationship. You cannot build a relationship on the physical. You can't do it. Notice, by the way, in the story of creation, what was the last thing ever created by God? Some would say man was the last thing ever created. I'd like to theologically pose something to you. I don't know that man was the last thing that was created. I think sex was the last thing that was created. Because after God created Adam and Eve, then when it was done, he said, now let me tell you how this works. Be fruitful and multiply. And he was not talking about agriculture. <laughs> he was saying, get busy. He created, and it was the last thing he created. After he created land, water, trees, fruit, vegetables, animals, shelter. Why? Because before you can enjoy a relationship, you have to first develop the resources to sustain the relationship. Oh, that's good preaching. Sex does not sustain a relationship. It's how you enjoy a relationship. You know what sustains a relationship? Communication. You know what sustains a relationship? Conflict resolution. And if you have sex too early in a relationship, you don't give time to develop those tools in the relationship because sex is so powerful, it dominates all those other areas. So you know how you resolve conflict? You have sex. <laughs> go back home and I can't believe that you did that. I can't believe that. Yeah, me neither. You want to go? <laughs> oh, I love you. It's so good. It's, not, it's called makeup sex. And really what you're trying to do is you're trying to make up for the lack of communication. You're trying to make up for the ability to resolve conflict. So let me just help you right now. If there's a couple at church today, I'm not judging. I'm not trying to, be, I'm trying to help you. I want y'all to stay together and you're living together and you're not yet married and you have to live together for financial reasons. First thing I would say is try and get different places, but I've got friends who just couldn't do that. They had to live together, but they slept in different rooms. If you can sleep in different rooms, if you can't afford to sleep in the living room, talk to me, I'll buy you an air mattress, okay? <laughs> But listen, don't be coming back to me talking about, well, you know, we sleep in the same bed, but we don't do nothing. <laughs> listen, if y'all can sleep in the same bed and not do something, you got deeper issues. <laughs> if you can share a bed with somebody you love and not do something, y'all probably shouldn't get married. Like, <laughs> something's wrong there. So don't do that. Also, listen, any issues that you don't resolve, this is why it's so important to protect the relationship. Any issues that you don't resolve sexually as an individual, you carry into your marriage as a couple. You know that, right? You should know that. There's a lot of people who say that when you get married, you won't have sexual issues anymore. Like, so for example, let's say I've got this weight, this burden of pornography on my shoulder, or I've got this sexual addiction, like I, I've, I, frequent, I frequent, you know, massage parlors, or I frequent prostitutes, or I've got this problem, and I, and I got, and here's what I tell myself, here's what the devil will tell you, single person, he'll tell you, hey, just wait till you get married, because when you wait till you're married, you won't have to carry this burden by yourself. 
You're going to have a wife. You're going to have a husband. And you're going to be able to drop this because she's going to fulfill your every need. Y'all going to have sex seven days a week. Multiple times a day. Yeah, and all your fantasies will be fulfilled and you won't carry this burden anymore. But the Bible says when two people get married, one doesn't fix the other. Two become... So that means, Pastor Liz, if you can come help me out, that means... Y'all cheered more for her than when I came up to preach. She's preaching for me next week, by the way. So we tag team. It's going to be fun. Okay, 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 okay. Back to the message. That means, hear me, whatever struggles I carried into marriage now don't get solved with my spouse. Now my issues become, become our issues. So pornography used to be a weight that only I carried. Now one day she goes through my search history, and now pornography is a weight that we both carry. Not because she's not filling my needs. It's not about needs. It's about baggage. And if you don't deal with your baggage as a single person, you are not just hurting you. You're hurting the future of that relationship because one day it will come out and and it's going to be painful and it's going to hurt. And that's exactly what happened in our marriage. My bondage became her bondage. My issue became her issue and it affected us and almost destroyed our relationship. So if you want freedom as a single person, you need to get to Jesus quick and find a place to get this off of your shoulders and find you because... And I'm going to tell you right now, thank you, baby. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you're dating somebody, you need to know that aspect of their life. When it gets serious, not on date one, be like, so you watch porn? What's up? (laughs) It's not going to be date two unless you can answer that question. (laughs) Slow down. But like when you get serious, these are things about them you want to know. Listen, if they were bringing in an STD into the relationship, you'd want to know. Huh? So if they're bringing baggage, you want to know that too. And you're going to need to be honest with that person, too, and let them know. All right, can I talk to married people? Married people? Married people? Married people, where you at, by the way? That's so good. Married people, you got a lot of energy for being married. Uh, congratulations to you. Um, married people, let me talk to you, because we have a different issue with sex. If not, if sex is good, why can't we have it yet? Your issue is just put it on the screen. Married people, if sex is good, why don't we have it more? <laughs> That's so good funny because it's true okay and I need to help you out right here um, because I, I think we should no matter how often we're having sex listen I think we should have sex more now now there's a husband in here who's like this was the day to come to church I, um, so I didn't like the other sermons but this is my sermon right here um, now let me help you out there's a reason why I say that uh, it's, and it's because this listen you have to see how important sex is to a marriage you have to see how important sex is to a marriage. And, and you understand that when you understand how the devil operates. The devil doesn't create ways to attack us. He perverts God's ways to build us into ways to attack us. Because he's not a creator or an originator, he's a perverter. So when God wants you to get closer to him, he'll say, deny your flesh. When the devil wants you to get further away from God, he'll say, feed your flesh. When God wants you to go to the next level in your relationship with Christ, he'll bring a good community around you to speak life into you. When the devil wants you to get a step away from God, he'll bring a bad community around you to bring you down. When God wants to seal two people together in marriage as a relationship, he brings sex. Sex is the seal. Pause right there. It's not even God's perspective. Even in the state of Florida, for example, if you get married to somebody and do not consummate the marriage on the night of 
your wedding day. That is, you do not have sex. Did you know that the marriage is not legally binding? The next day, you can wake up and file for an annulment because in the eyes of the court, of the court, if you did not have sex, the marriage is not sealed. Now, there is very few things that the Lord and, and the world agrees on. But even on this topic, they agree that sex seals a marriage. So here's my point. If sex was a thing that God created to seal a marriage, then what will the devil use to rip it apart? Sex. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again, catch this, so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Don't give the enemy a foothold in your marriage. Now, listen, for the, for the, for the person, for the divorcee, who, who was there, who gave her body willingly, or he gave his body willingly, who was, who was meeting those sexual desires of their partner, and they still left you. I need to put this in context. Write this down, married people. Having sex will not save your marriage. Put it on the screen. Having sex will not save your marriage, but not having sex will not help your marriage. Sometimes it's not you. It's just that burden that that other person is bringing in there. But make no mistake, not having sex will not help your marriage. And so married people, hear me. You need to have sex with your spouse often. And I know that that's hard to do because sometimes you got a lot on your plate and you got a lot going on, but you can't always be tired and you can't always be busy. And, and right now there's a single Christian person in the room who's, think, who's like been waiting for the right person to get married and they're like, their mind is blown right now. They're like, do you mean to tell me that there are two people who love each other who are married, who can have sex and it not be a sin and they're not having sex all the time? Married people, we know, yeah, that's true. That's true, because life gets busy, right? I mean, if 13-year-old me were to meet 35-year-old me, he would have questions. If 13-year-old me could see 35-year-old me and me being in bed one night next to the most beautiful woman in the world, my wife, and me say to my wife, actually, babe, I'm kind of too tired tonight, I think 13-year-old me would karate chop me in the throat. <laughs> what? How dare you? We've been waiting for this all our life. What's wrong with you? You better get that, son, you know? But you know what I would tell 13-year-old me? I would tell 13-year-old me, shut up, 13-year-old me. You don't know what it's like to have a mortgage. I would tell 13-year-old me, listen here, 13-year-old me, you don't know what it's like to have kids. Listen up here, 13-year-old me, you don't know what it's like to preach three services. I'm tired. You don't know, right, married people? They don't know. We can be busy and we can have things, but we got to make a priority. So let me give you two things real quick, married people, that you can do to help resolve this issue. Number one, you need to have honest conversations about sexual expectations. I want every husband and wife, when they leave church today in the car home, unless your kid is in the car, in that case, just talk about water and thirst, okay? <laughs> Say, hey, are you drinking enough? Because <laughs> I'm a little thirsty. <laughs> Are you thirsty? How can we make sure that we're both not thirsty? And listen, I'm dead serious about this. We need to have honest conversations about sexual expectations. Honesty. And I don't care how long you've been married, 20, 30, 40 years, check in on this area. And then secondly, after you have those honest conversations, you need to schedule it. If you can't be spontaneous about it, well, I just want to wait for the right moment to strike. How has that been working? 
out for you? Is, are, are, is it working out for you? If it's not working out for you, schedule it. We schedule what's important, right? For the people who say that, well, I don't want to schedule it because that robs it of its romanticness nature of it. And, I'm just, and I say this every year. That, okay, but if you were going to have an affair, you would schedule that. You'd get a babysitter. You'd book the hotel. You'd call out a work on time. You would arrange what you needed to arrange to do that. So why would you do it any different for your husband or your wife? Schedule it, you know, and maybe it can be on a, like to make it even simpler, maybe after that conversation, we go, you know what? We're just gonna set certain days of the week. Certain days of the week are gonna be sex day. If you both agree. Like I'm just saying, Sundays don't just have to be for church. It could be Sunday fun day. It could be. It could be make out Monday. It could be two for Tuesday. Wow, wow Wednesday, throw down Thursday, freaky Friday, whatever you wanna do. <laughs> but on Saturday, rest. Make sure you rest on Saturday. Because you can't, can't, can't do it all the time, you'll die. So you gotta slow down. Don't do it all the time. Someone'll get hurt, this is true. Just pick a day, make it happen, it's important. And if, you're still, if that still doesn't help here, this might be the other issue. Listen, married people, you have to see that sex starts before the bedroom. Yes. Imagine that sex is driving a car. Like, and when you and her or you and him are doing it, then, then you're, you're driving the car. That's cool. Everything that happens before that moment, listen, is either putting gas in the tank or taking gas out of the tank. And there have been some times where I have unintentionally taken the gas out of the tank. And, and like, there are some times when I'll say things to Liz, and as I'm saying it, I'm like, oh, this is so stupid, I shouldn't say it. Three thoughts come to my mind as I say the stupid thing that I know is not good. First is, man, I let God down. I should not have let God down when I said that or when I did that. I knew that was bad. I knew that wasn't healthy for the relationship. The second thing will be, man, I'm gonna hurt Liz's feelings. I should not have said that. I should not have done that. That makes her feel a certain type of way. And the third thing that comes to mind is, we're probably not having sex tonight. Because of what I said or did, what we say and do can have an effect on our, on our, on our love tank to be able to give love to the other person. And so, um, man, let me help you out real quick. You need to find out your wife's love language. It's a great book by Dr. Gary Chapman, The Five Love Languages. We can give you more information on that if you need it. Just put it in the chat. We'll point you to the link or whatever. And, you know, maybe, you know, whatever it is, you need to speak it. You know, so if it's gifts, give her gifts. If it's words of affirmation, speak words. You know what Pastor Liz's is? It's acts of service. That's like, she's told me before, listen, like if you wanna really turn me on, it's not like, I'm sure they have it, I've never seen it. It's not like put on some male lingerie. Like that's not gonna do it for me. If you really wanna turn me on, do the dishes. Throw out the trash. The other day I fixed the faucet in the boys' bathroom. It was a big deal. The water was dripping and dripping and dripping and dripping. And I went in there and in no lie, like in 20 minutes, I was like, boom, came out. She came out, she heard the dripping stop. She said, did you just fix the faucet in the boys' bathroom? I said, well. <laughs> Say, yes, I did. She said, what you doing tonight? <laughs> I said, boys, mommy and daddy are gonna get a drink. You stay here, you play. We're thirsty, we'll be back. <laughs> Ladies, can I help you out? If you want to turn your man on, not much you have to do. <laughs> not, it's really, it's really not a lot you have to do. Just let us know when. We're pretty much good to go most times. Oh, hold on. We can't play the music right now because it's, it's not the right, it's not the right. It'll be in a second. No, it's just a second. Uh, no, but for real, for real, you know what you can do? You know what turns men on, what really helps men? Listen, honor. 
Something happens when you speak into the soul of a man. Listen, I am, I am, I'm convinced, I have a theory, and I'm, I'm convinced anecdotally through stories, but also through the word of God, that men don't just cheat just because they're horny. It's a part. But I believe men cheat not just because they're horny, but because cheating makes them feel like more of a man. And, 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 and it's not your responsibility, women. Let me help you right now. It is not your responsibility to make sure that we feel like men. And men, let me talk to you. It is not your wife's responsibility to make sure you feel like a man. You need to work that out with the word of God. You need to work that out with the Lord. You need to work that out with a therapist. You need to call your dad and you know, work that out with him or whatever you gotta do to get there. You need to get there. You need to know you're a man with or without the woman. When God created Adam, he was a man before Eve got there. And so you need to make sure that you're a man without your, the attendance or the help of your wife. But women, listen, it's not your responsibility to make us feel like a man, but it is your superpower. Women, you have a superpower power and it is the ability to speak life into a man like no one else can when I get before I come and preach pastor Liz lays hands on me and if you've seen it before every sermon and she is speaking life into me and she is praying for me why because her words have power like no one else's words have power so wife your words can build up your husband or they can tear him down you choose which one you want to use your power if you want to be a superhero or a supervillain, it's still you. Men, you got to be good with or without it, but it helps. Here's the last thing. This is for both single people and married people. Worship team, you can play now. I apologize. <laughs> Listen, this is key. We're going to end here. Sex is more than what you see. It's not just what you see in the bedroom. It's not just what you see on TV. Catch me. Catch me. Catch me on this. Listen, there is something happening behind the scenes when you're having sex in the spiritual realm. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15 through 17. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, Jesus, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy. And then, remember what I said in the illustration, leaves us more lonely than ever. There is a sense in which this is key. Somebody has never read this Bible verse before. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all the others. Because in sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies, these bodies that were made for God-given and god by love. And here's why it's different for becoming one with another. In other words, when you sin in any other area of your life, the sin dies once you did it. But in sexual sin, when you sin sexually because it binds you one to another, there is a residual effect of sexual sin. So it looks like this. Come on, guys, come up here pretty fast and come help me out. There is a residual effect when you sin sexually, there is a, a binding, a tying. Preachers and theologians refer to this binding as a soul tie. If you're a part of our freedom groups, you'll learn more about this in a freedom small group. So how does it work? How do soul ties work? Well, let's say you grew up in church or maybe you didn't, but you know, you had that girl that lived next door or you know, that girl you went to high school with and you know, you guys got really close and one day her parents weren't home and you decided to become intimate with her. Well, guess what? That's why you never forget your first. Because even though she don't live in the same state, even though she don't live in the same country, even though she doesn't live in the same whatever is you anymore, you are forever tied to her because of the thing that you two share, which doesn't seem like a big deal. Well, I mean, that's not a big deal. That's my first. I'll just go ahead and remember her and that's it. The problem is when you get into a fight with your wife or your spouse, and then instead of trying to resolve it, you start thinking back, well, I wonder what she's doing. And you know how you know you got a soul tie? You start to look her up on Facebook. You start to look her up on Instagram because you're tied to her in that way. She'll follow you 
everywhere that you go. When you're being intimate with your wife, your mind is going back to the first time you were intimate. It's a tie. But then you grow up, you know, it doesn't work out. And so then you meet someone at college, you know, and, and you guys hit it off and you got a lot in common. You like the same music and, you know, you like the same sports. And she even goes to church. He even goes to church. Y'all go to the same. And it's cool because at first it starts out, you know, y'all reading the Bible together, fasting together. Then you start laying hands together. <laughs> One thing leads to another. And now... You know, you're not really sure if you want to take that step, but, oh, you've been wondering what the FWB, move your hair for a little bit. Yeah, what the FWB, that's friends with benefits. Because you got a relationship, but no commitment. Y'all tight, but there's not really clarity to where it's going, and you're kind of in, and, and y'all go to the same church, and now there's a soul tie. Now you can't even come to church because she goes to the same church as you. Which, by the way, is one of the reasons why we got three service times. <laughs> I'm just trying to help somebody right now. You, you go to the nine, I'll go to the 12. Yeah. We'll work this thing out. But you're tied to this person. For some of us, it's not even what we did, but what someone chose to do to us. Abuse. And you think, well, that's not fair. How can I have a soul tie to an abuser when I didn't even choose to be abused? First off, you know you're tied to your abuser because you can't stop thinking about it. That follows you throughout your whole life. One in 10 children sexually abused before the age of 18. And your pastors, Liz and JJ, were both two of those kids. So I can't even imagine what I'm looking at right here in the audience. How many people here have carried internal hurt and nobody even knows. You tried to tell a family member, they didn't believe you. That's painful. And, and, and then you wake up in the morning, you got some depression, and anxiety. You have no idea why you feel the way you feel. You're still tied to that person. Somewhere there's a married person in here who ever since the age of 12, he didn't know this, he didn't, he didn't say this when he was at the altar, but he's got an addiction to pornography and he's soul tied to porn. You think, well, that's not even a person. How can I, well, there's a person on the other side of that screen, isn't there? You know how I know you're soul tied to it? Listen, because you depend on it. Because you can't get away from it. Anything you can't get away from, you're tied to. And now you're tied to your first, you're tied to your FWB, to your abuser, to pornography. And now with all these things, you try and come to church and worship God. Well, all of these things, you try and get to the altar and put the ring on somebody else's finger. And you have no idea you are standing across from somebody. You're not even marrying them. You're marrying, you're marrying all this. Try to become a dad and love your kids and raise kids, but you got all this going on. There's a whole bunch of people worried about sexually transmitted diseases, and we should be, but we should also be talking about spiritually transmitted deficiencies. Sexual, well, they're, they're called sexually transmitted infections now, Pastor, the STI. Okay, then we should be worried about spiritually transmitted issues. The stuff that we're carrying in our heart, we wake up in a funk, we don't even know why. We wake up depressed, we don't even know why. It's because you, you, haven't, you haven't looked back in a while. There was something going on in a realm you could not see. So how do you get free from this if you're here today? And this is some serious stuff. We're gonna have prayer at the end of this service at the blue tent. We're gonna have prayer. You find a prayer team, they're gonna pray for you. Pastor Jenny will give you more, but here's how you do it. Three C's so you can't forget. Number one, confess it. If you want freedom, the first thing you gotta do is confess it. Put it on the screen, confess it. James chapter five, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other, even the sins that were done against you. 
and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Listen, you need to find somebody. I know you tried to confess what the abuser did to you before and they didn't believe you. You need to get a therapist. You need to tell that person what happened to you. I know you got a little struggle here. You need to meet with your husband or your wife and you need to share with them the thing that you are wrestling with. It cannot, God cannot heal what you hide. You gotta confess, it starts with confession. The second thing is you gotta cancel it. Now I'm using cancel like we use in cancel culture today. You know the word cancel and cancel culture means have nothing to do with that person. That's what I want you to do with the things that lead you to sin, have nothing to do with them. Cancel it, cancel it. Your FWB, well you know, they just keep Instagramming me. They keep messaging, well then get rid of Instagram. That sounds a little extreme, run. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, run. Now walk, run away from sexual immorality in any form, whether thought or behavior, whether visual or written, get away from it. I preached a message a while back called Walk, Don't Run. Remember about having the pace of life? There's only two times in the Bible when it says run. It is to Jesus or away from sexual sin. Run. Well, you know, I can't help it. My, my, my smartphone just keeps, you know, doing things to me. Well, I got a, there's a guy that goes to our church. He has a dumb phone. No internet access. I don't know how he gets places without his Google Maps or GPS. All his phone can do is make phone calls and text, send text messages. You ask him why, he'll be honest with you. He said, I'm trying to never look at pornography ever again in my life. I had to cancel it. I had to cancel it. I had to run. I had to run away from it. Now that's the practical, okay? Confess it, cancel it. Those are the practical things you can do. But remember, this is happening in the invisible world. So there's something invisible that you got to do something spiritual. Here's the last one. I'll explain it. Not just confess it, not just cancel it. You got to crucify it. Crucify it. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He used, as Jesus, his servant body to carry our sins to the cross so we could be rid of sin, free to live the right way. His wounds became your healing. Where's my Jesus at? Come on. Jesus got a welcome home t-shirt. Let's go, Jesus. Welcome home. It says that his wounds became our healing, that when he died on the cross, his cross carried our sins. So you know how this works? I can't get rid of these soul ties. They follow me everywhere you go. Jesus knows that too. So what Jesus did was he went and stepped in the gap and he said, hand me that. And then he said, and the other thing that's been following you throughout your whole life, hand me that too. Give, give it to me. And then... And that's what he did on the cross for you and for me. He took our transgressions. He took our abuse. He took our addictions. He took our pain. He took our hurt. He said, you can't carry that any longer. He said, give it to me. Let me carry that for you. Let me take that up on Calvary. And when I die for it, you don't have to die for it. I'll die for it. Now you can be free to lift your hands. Is there anybody who's free who can lift their hands? Because Jesus paid the price for me. Because he took it, he took it, he took my first, he took the poor, he took the abuse, he took the connection, he carried what I could no longer carry, and I'm free. Stay standing, stay standing, stay standing as we close, and now I'm free. This is what the cross did for you and for me, and we don't just do this one day, we do this every day of our life. Every day of our life. Now I'm gonna try to make something very spiritual, very practical. Here's what it means, please lock in. It means what you have to do in order to make this happen, what did I have to do in order for Jesus to step in? You gotta surrender. 
if you want God to heal your sexuality, to heal your sexual life, to redeem and put the broken pieces back together, here's what you got to do. You got to surrender your sexual life over to God. Just tell the Lord, you're the one. I'm going to allow your definition of my sexual identity to be my definition of sexual identity. Speak into my sexual life. Speak into my gender. Speak into my passions. Speak into my desires. I give it to you. I give it to you. Take my life. Waiting until marriage, God, I'm going to give it to you. And every morning you wake up and you feel attacked by the FWB pulling on you again. You just remind yourself, uh uh-uh, I gave that to Jesus. That's not mine. I gave that to Jesus. When, 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 when you're alone and they left you alone and you got the phone and you're in the bathroom and you go, uh-uh, I gave that to you. Right there in the bathroom as you're sitting on the toilet, you go, no, no, Lord, I gave that to you. You're holding that on the cross. It's not mine anymore. I lay it down. When your first hits you up and DMs you, uh-uh, I gave that to the Lord. I'm not, that's not my abuse anymore. I give that to you. So if you're in this room right now and you need healing over your sexuality, what someone did to you with the choices you made, every head bow, every eye close. What I want you to do symbolically, if that's you, nobody's looking, just go ahead and lift your hands right now if you're ready to surrender. Nobody's looking, it's okay. Listen, 100% of us are sexual beings. If you feel comfortable, 100% of the hands in this room should be raised right now. I'm giving it to you, Lord. 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 This ends here. This ends with me. It's not, pass, it's not getting passed down to my kids. Uh-uh. My son will not carry the porn addiction that I carried for the majority of my life. This ends with me right here, right now. My marriage is going to be restored. We're going to be intimate again. I, Lord, I'm giving it control to you. I'm giving you the words, but you need to lift up your own voice. Go ahead and pray it right now. Father, I'm giving this to you. I leave this to you. Father, have your way with me, Lord. Take my life. I give you my sexuality. I give you the direction, the abuse, the person who hurt me. I lay that at your feet. Father, I need you. I crucify. I confess I've got problems. I've got issues. I'm going to cancel. When I get home, I'm going to cancel that subscription to HBO Max that ain't serving me well right now. I'm going to cancel that social media account because it ain't serving me right now. But what I need you to do is the one thing I can't do. I need you to heal. I need you to restore. And so I crucify the flesh and all of its desires today on the cross. Father, heal me and restore me. Go ahead and and have that moment with the Lord. I want to speak right now to those who are far from God. If you're in this room and you want a relationship with Jesus, you got to surrender your heart and your body to him today give Jesus your life right now if that's you I want you to repeat after me if you're going to make this prayer everybody in this room who wants to give their heart to Jesus repeat this prayer after me everybody say it Father God I give you my heart and I give you my body heal me and forgive me I make you the Lord of my life in Jesus name I pray amen We hope you've enjoyed this message, and we would love to hear your story and how this ministry is changing your life. Please email us at amen at journeyorl.com. And if you would like to support financially, you can give online at journeyorl.com give. If you're in the area, join us on Sunday for the full experience. Have a blessed week.